Hi, I'm Amira Khalid, and I'm the creator and host of Inspiring UAE Women, the one and only podcast focused on female leaders in the United Arab Emirates. I enjoy meeting and talking to female leaders and finding out how they charted their path to professional success. In my show, Inspiring UA Women, I will be interviewing and shining the spotlight on a diverse group of female leaders in the UAE and inspire women in the region with their success stories. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you enjoy listening to my podcast, and if you do, Please subscribe and leave your comments and ratings on iTunes and Spotify. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at Inspiring UAE Women Podcast or Instagram at IUAEW Podcast. You can also email me on inspiringuawomen at gmail.com to get in touch. My guest today is Amal Al-Agarubi. Amal is an Emirati film director, producer, and writer. Her film career began in 2012 when her short documentary Half Emirati premiered at Dubai Film Festival in 2012 and became the most watched film at the festival, discussing the social repercussions of being a mixed-race child. She later won Best Up-and-Coming Director of 2013 at the Digital Studio Awards in Dubai, and her talents were honored by women in film and television as the best new director in the UAE. Her debut feature-length documentary about autism, The Brain That Sings, was released in 2013 and received multiple international awards. The film contributed to the change in government legislation for special needs children in UAE-based schools. Amal initially came from a scientific background and obtained her BSc in Biomedical Sciences and an MSc in Neurosciences before joining the film industry. She set up an independent film production company, Alagarubi Films, in 2013, bringing to light stories about Gulf Arab societies that are untouched or unknown. Amal's passion lies predominantly in social, character-driven stories. She continues to work on narrative and documentary films. Thank you so much for being on my show, Amal. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. My first question to you is, how did your interest in filmmaking come about? I think I've always been interested in filmmaking. So I just really, really had a passion to be within the film industry. When I was at school, when I was young, I used to be involved in theater all the time. I took part in different plays, not just as an an actress, but also kind of behind the scenes and so on. And then when I graduated from high school and my parents asked me what I wanted to study, I said I wanted to be an actress. And that was completely off the table. You know, as an Imarati woman, that just wasn't an option. You know, it wasn't very good for a woman. It wasn't very reputable or respectable. So I ended up going into sciences. Yeah, I did my first degree in biomedical medical sciences. And then I did a master's in neuroscience. And I ended up working as a scientist for some years. And uh, and I just couldn't ignore the nagging kind of passionate feeling inside me and the need to want to return to cinema. And the more I would see on TV, and the more I would kind of hear about projects or film projects being involved, I'm like, hey, I, I want to be part of that. Why am I not there? Why haven't I done that? Why haven't I told the stories I want to tell? Or why haven't I chased my dreams? And I was just so mad at myself. And then just got to a point where I was like, you know, that's it. I'm going to do what I love. I'm going to follow my passion. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. No, actually, I didn't say that. I didn't say if it works, it works. I said, there's no other choice I have. This will work because this is what I want, come what may. And that's where it gets interesting because everyone says, oh, well, you're good at your job. You get paid. 
it's great to be good at something that you don't care about. But I find that when you actually care about something and you're passionate about it, you fail even more than you would ordinarily. And then it makes it even harder. I left my job. I joined a production company and it kind of it went from there. I ended up making my first film, which was Hafi Marathi in 2012. I made my feature length documentary, The Brain That Sings in 2013. And I shot a couple of short film projects. And then I moved my company to the UK in 2016. So I started working on more feature length fictional projects. And alhamdulillah, I can say in December 2020, I was signed by a managing agent. And so now hopefully from here on in, my career just blossoms and grows. And so really at the root of it is wanting to tell stories. I have found that Cinema brings out all the different aspects of my personality. I feel at heart I'm somewhat of an activist. I really don't stand for social injustice. I love people. I love understanding people and identity. And those have become the main themes that you see in my films. So when I tell stories, those are the issues and the stories I try to address. And of course, as a Arab woman, as an Emiratiya, and my mother is Syrian, you know, I have Arabness in my blood. I am an Arabist. I love Arabia, and that's a big part of my culture, my cultural identity. So I want that to be a part of all my films as well. So I tell stories so I can share that with the world, so that I can inspire people and that I can share my vision and my perspective, I suppose, with the world through my mode of expression, which is cinema. Amal, I find it so inspiring that you decided to change your career path and pursue your passion. I really believe that more women need to be like you. We need to take more risks, embrace and follow our passions and do what makes us happy at the end of the day. I mean, I completely agree. There's always an issue and, and a problem, I suppose, with Emirati women, especially we have to think twice about doing something before we do it because of the social constraints, because of cultural and familial constraints that we each face. And each of our families are different in what they accept and what they don't. We are different in what we accept and what we don't. So you need to consider things more when entering any kind of field or when doing something that you want to do for yourself. You garnered a lot of respect and attention for your documentaries, Half Imarati and subsequently The Brain That Sings. Tell us a bit about the work that went behind making that vision a reality. So my first film was Hafi Marathi, and I decided to make that film for a competition called Your Film Festival on YouTube that was run by Ridley Scott and Michael Fassbender. And the point was to create a film that was personal to you, 10 minutes long, fiction, animation, documentary, whatever you want. And if you did well, the prize would be to go to the Venice Film Festival. And I thought, okay, great, let me do this. And I had been thinking about it for ages. This was my time to shine. So I sat down and I thought, what's important to me? I am Hafi Marathi. And being Hafi Marathi is a big part of my identity. And I find that there have been struggles, not just with me personally, but with people around me who share or are similar background. So I thought, okay, why don't I make a film about that? When I decided to make the film, everyone was against it. I had calls from friends. I had no support. And I thought, no, this is an important thing to do. I need to do it for myself. And I found a way. 
found some people, I found some equipment, I paid out of pocket for the film, I spent about $2,000, I think, all in all shooting the film, I managed to negotiate with a post production company to get free post as a first time filmmaker, they were interested in supporting my filmmaking journey. And this is what you'll find is that when you want to do something, and when you want to follow your dream and your passion, you'll find that there will be people there to help you, even though it's really difficult. And sometimes it won't come from the people you expect or the people that you want. For example, family in the UAE, that's a very constant thing. You know, you don't expect your family to support you and stand behind you 100%. You don't even expect your friends to. And I had a lot of these friends that were like, no, you can't do this. Anyway, the long and short of it is I shot the film, screened it at the Bay Film Festival 2012. It was shown as a part of a series of other short films. And it seems that nobody was talking about the other films. They all wanted to know about Hafi Marathi. And it was like a battle. There were people who were like, oh, this is great. I identify with this film. I'm Hafi Marathi too. I share similar opinions, etc. And other people would jump in and be like, this is ridiculous. I'm half Saudi. I don't consider myself to be a half Saudi. I consider myself to be a fully Marathi. There's no difference between us. I said, well, that's a different culture. And I don't think people were ready to hear it. And I don't think people were ready for documentary as a whole. So the idea that you're showing them a film that reflects people's opinions that's what documentaries are. And you kind of pick and choose what you want to believe and what you don't. You either agree or you don't agree. But the point of it is to show you a different perspective, to open up your mind. And that's exactly what the film did. And that's what I am most proud of. Hafi Marathi was able to change society, Marathi society and culture by introducing these different concepts to make people feel like they're not alone, to make people feel like there are other people who share their backgrounds. And that was very similar to The Brain That Sings, because in The Brain That Sings, I had the issue of autism and special needs, where two families were talking about their autistic children, the struggles that they have socially, financially, through acceptance, a religious perspective, the things that they face every single day. And we see it in the documentary. We follow Khalifa and Muhammad as not only going through the therapy, but as they're out with their father or their mother, how it is difficult to control them or their violent outbursts and things like that. And when you project somebody's life on the screen like that to be in a documentary, you you have to be very brave to show it, I think as a filmmaker, to film it, and then to expose it to an audience. And it did many things. It allowed people to find that actually, you know what, families are going through the same things we're going through, which is comforting. So at the end of the screening of that film, Boumhamed, who is the father of one of the characters in the film, was approached by several other fathers and they created this little society for fathers who have autistic kids, you know, which is great because for their mental health, they're able now to discuss what it's like to have these children, what it is to be patient, to give each other tips about doctors, where to get grants, where to get funding. That was the first thing. Secondly, members of the FNC requested the film for a screening. They realized that there was a lot of lack when it came to special needs children in terms of, first of all, integrating them into schools, and second of all, to provide them with education, learning, funding, resources. So they decided to change the legislation in order to cater better to these children. And to be honest, this is what I make films for. You know, when I make these documentary films, these social documentaries especially, it creates a social impact and it pushes people to become more aware and to educate themselves about topics that they don't know about. This is especially important, of course, when it comes to the UAE, when it comes to our country, because we are a young country. And if we're not the ones to point out the cracks within the fabric of our society, then who will? 
And once we do, we can start to address them. We can be inspired to change, to change for the better. And that positive change, you know, even if one person watches Half Imarati or watches The Brain That Sings or even watches or listens to your podcast, you know, they might be inspired to do other things and to grow. And that's what we want because we will only be better if we do that. We will only progress if we do that. Amal, what you are is a conversation starter. You start conversations and force people to talk about important social issues that don't get enough airtime. And I really admire the fact that you bring these social issues to light with your documentaries. My next question is, after all this, how does it feel to be a leading successful Emirati female film producer and director? Do you feel the need and a responsibility to empower and engage the next generation of female filmmakers? Absolutely. I feel that I have both a responsibility and a duty, obviously, to give back to the community. I'm passionate, as I said, about my people, my country, my society. So it is part of me and part and and should just be a natural thing to be able to give back to society, to other filmmakers, to help them grow, to get them involved in projects and to pave the way for them to learn more and to grow and and to join those ranks. And I remember once being invited to teach a class of young Imarati girls as part of a camp, a filmmaking class. I remember there were maybe 20 or 30 girls and they were rowdy and some of them wanted to be there and some of them didn't want to be there. And we went through the whole steps and we brought a camera and some people acted. We shot the film. We got to the editing stage and I could see within some of them. And there were two girls in particular, Aisha and Tim. I'll never forget their names. There was something about them. They were only, what, 13 years old. But you could see that Aisha already had the qualities and abilities and talents and skills to be a producer. And you could see that she was naturally doing it with the other girls. She was naturally in charge. She was naturally taking care of everything. She naturally had a calm nature about her. She was helping them discover things. I was so impressed. And then Tame, as soon as she got onto the computer and I'm teaching them how to edit, but she was really in it. She was asking questions and she wanted to know how things were happening. And you could tell she was engrossed about it. And she had that talent. You know, where we would watch a segment together and I'd be like, that is probably dragging on for too much. You can cut it there. It's a bit too long. And she'd be like, yeah, 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 I know. And then she would just cut it where she felt like it needed to be cut. And she was right. That was so impressive. I mean, I don't think I've ever felt better about myself than during this class, teaching people and giving back. It's an amazing thing. You finally feel like you're doing something, you're contributing, you're giving back in such a meaningful way. I absolutely loved it. And then I feel like, you know, people often say, oh, you know, leading and successful and so on. And, you know, more and more, I'm kind of aware of my position. And, you know, absolutely, I won't be too modest in in denying those things. I think women, unfortunately, have or have the habit of doing that. No, I'm not that smart. I'm not that successful. I'm not that good. But you know what? I am successful and I am that good and I have worked hard and I deserve it. I am leading in the industry and even abroad and it feels great. It feels great to stand in my power. It feels great to stand as a woman and be aware of what I've done and what I've built. Having said that, I'm not the kind of person who tends to look back. I tend to only look forward. I look forward and I begin to ask myself, what's next? I don't take a break and go, oh, ML, good job. You know, look at you. Look how far you've come. Look what you've achieved. I just think, okay, what's next? How can I grow? How can I get better? What can I do to move my career forward or move along that path? Now, given your international experience, do you think there's a difference between male and female filmmakers and their work ethic and styles? 
I'm trying to address, is there a difference in their ethic and styles? That I think is not a male-female thing. I think that's just an individualistic thing. I mean, stereotypically, when you get on set, you find the male director as an angry, very dominant, bossy kind of individual yelling and shouting and getting what they want. And people applaud him for this behavior because he knows what he wants. Whereas when female directors get on set and they act that kind of way, it's, ah, oh, she's crazy. Oh, maybe she's having a bad day. Maybe she's on her period. And if she turns around and says, where's the DOP? Get over here. I don't know. And then the DOP says, well, why don't we shoot it from this perspective? And she turns around and she goes, well, what do you think? Suddenly she doesn't know what she wants. When a male director is collaborating with his director of photography, he's doing it because he has a vision. He's discussing, he's trying to discover how to perfect his vision. When a, a woman does it, she's unsure. She's unsure of how she wants to do the shot because she doesn't know, because she's inexperienced, because she needs help. So I think those are the stereotypical ideas of what a female and a male director act like and are like on set. But in my experience, I've seen male directors who are completely submissive, who have absolutely Absolutely no control over their set who have to be told a few times. I've seen female directors in the same position who consistently question things. So I, I wouldn't say that that comes down to being male or female. I think that just comes down to you as an individual and how you carry yourself on set. Having said that, I do find that sometimes women have to become more like men, adapt that more masculine approach. I mean, seldom will you find a woman on set wearing makeup, a very nice floral dress and high heels when she's directing because suddenly she's doing it because she wants male attention and she can no longer be taken seriously on set. And unfortunately, she has to dress herself down, not accept a dinner out or a coffee or anything like that because that might be misunderstood. So those barriers do exist. And for me, as a female director in the Middle East, I used to think that Actually, and I still think that women are very much more in positions of power. Women in the Arab region especially have been quite successful in that regard. I mean, the ones who have gotten to the Oscars, the ones that have been nominated for Academy Awards, BAFTAs, and all this kind of stuff tend to be Arab women. We have a great Lebanese community, a great Palestinian community. Saudi, you know, with Haifa uh, al-Mansur, for example, who did the uh, Wajda did very well with that film. So we have a lot of inspiring female presence, I would say, in the film industry in the Arab world when it comes to directing, also when it comes to acting and, you know, maybe even writing. But when it comes to producing, the people who hold the money bags, that tends to be the men. And for as long as it's the men that hold the money bags, the men will have the power and they will get to dictate what is made and what is not made, you know, how much money they give and how much money they don't give. And I've been in those positions. So I think when those things start to change, when more people start wanting to support Emirati filmmakers or artists or anyone in the creative field, that's when we're going to feel like, okay, they're doing it because they believe in our work and they want to support us. And of course, there are men like that. I've been very lucky. Badr Jafar, who is a, a great Emirati entrepreneur, has supported personally my films and has gone on to help a lot of people within the film, a lot of women in the film industry. So that's just an example. But that's generally how I feel. And I think it's down to the woman herself to stand up for herself, to get out there, to look for other avenues. Because the great thing about filmmaking is it pushes you to be creative, especially when you're restricted in some kind of way. As in, you know, when I didn't have the money to pay for special effects for The Brain That Sings, I thought, what can I do in order to create that opening credits? And in the opening credits, you basically see sand art. 
And that sand art, I paid a sand artist to do it on a light box and we filmed it. And of course, that cost me a fraction of the price. So likewise, you know, the way that I found is more innovative for me is I started reaching out internationally. At the moment, I'm working on a horror film, which I'm co-producing with a Swedish co-producer. So I'm getting Sweden involved. We're getting involved with co-production treaties. We're getting access to international grants, to Swedish grants, to Swedish money, to European money. And we're able to do that because I've pushed myself outside the usual boundaries if we really, really want it, if we really want to pursue our dreams, we have to push ourselves to think outside the box and to find ways to get those needs met. Amal, you briefly addressed the issues you faced as a result of the choice of the subject matter of your documentaries in one of my earlier questions. Were you ever treated differently or did you encounter the proverbial glass ceiling in the film industry as a woman? I will tell you a story that happened to me. So when I was shooting Taht al-Amama, Under the Hat, we were at the time shooting in a mosque. The story is about a mosque mu'adhin who loses his voice and he's replaced by his neighbor who is a rock star. So it's a juxtaposition and a story between these two characters. So we were shooting at the time and we were in the mosque. One of the crew members brought in the guitar. The guitar was not in the case, but it was just kind of leaning on the wall in the inside of the mosque. Two people had come in to pray. They must have seen the guitar and they went outside and they complained and they said something and it kicked up a fuss. I wasn't aware of this, of course, because I was inside shooting and directing. And suddenly the production manager comes in and says, please, could you come outside? We need you urgently. And I said, fine. So I went outside and I found two gentlemen standing. I said, gentlemen, what's the problem? And they said, uh, there's a there's a guitar in the mosque. I said, yes, I'm aware there's a guitar in the mosque. And they go, uh, how dare you? And he goes, uh, who's in charge here? I said, I'm in charge. And he goes, uh, what do you mean you're in charge? I said, I'm the director of this film. I am in charge. If you have an issue, you can speak to me. You know, I'm just going to get back to my work now. And he goes, well, I'm not going to talk to you because I have an issue. So I'm, I'm not going to talk to you. Bring me the man. Bring me the man. And I said, what man? He said, the man that's in charge. I said, there is no man in charge. I said, I am in charge. He just could not let it go. And that's an experience, several experience that I've had in sort of shooting in the film industry in general. So what are some changes that you would like to see in the industry to better support female filmmakers? I think first and foremost, a little bit about what I mentioned, which is the funding. I think when more female entrepreneurs and more women are willing to sort of come forward and fund and give grants to filmmakers and artists and musicians and anyone in the creative field, that we will be more empowered because we know that it comes from sort of a better place and that there are no restrictions that we would ordinarily see with men. I think secondly, you know, a lot of what we've built in the UAE by way of the film industry, we've actually broken down. So the Dubai Film Festival no longer exists. The Gulf Film Festival, the Abu Dhabi Film Festival no longer exists. We no longer have any film funds. The only fund that I know that practically exists is the Abu Dhabi Music and Arts Foundation, more for short films or sort of short form documentaries and so on. So we've been sort of restricted in terms of funds that we can access. The UAE, because it is a developing country, because it is considered a rich country, is not part of the DAC countries, which is the development 
development arm of most film funds. So for example, the World Cinema Fund, we don't have access to a lot of the European funds and the Middle Eastern funds we will not have access to because the ones when they consider the Middle East, they consider Egypt, they consider Syria. So they are more inclined to give them the money. They are more inclined to support their films because they feel that their voices and their stories are more important and should be heard. But when it comes to Emiratis, where Gulf countries, there are not many stories that need to be told from here. And they believe that we should have funds allocated to the culture and arts in general. Unfortunately, we don't have that. And when we do have that, they're not in great sums. When it comes to education, in terms of investment and film investment, we're also very restricted. People know how to invest in technology. They know how to invest in real estate. They know business because the UAE was founded on business and business is a big part of the dialogue that happens within the UAE. But when it comes to film, they don't know that actually film is a film business and it can be something quite lucrative, that when you invest, you get a certain amount of return on your investment if the film is successful. So it, it can be successful or it can flop, just like a business, just like property investment, just like any other kind of investment. And I think more awareness and education around that is also something that I would like to see here. Could you name a woman who has inspired you the most and why? So internationally, there are a fair few women. I mean, Oprah Winfrey, I totally love Oprah, just in the way that she can speak with people and communicate with people. And even though she's not a filmmaker, she's a lot like me in the way that, you know, I'm a documentarian as well. And when I speak to people, I need to be able to get the best out of them and to get their deepest stories and to get the most difficult aspects of their lives out. So Oprah Winfrey is a big inspiration. Ava DuVarnay is a big inspiration for me. She's a filmmaker who I met at the Bay Film Festival when she had only made, I think, two films at the time. And now she's gone on to make a whole roster of films. She's involved at the studio level. So she's really grown and grown and built her way up. She is a source of inspiration. So in terms of Emirati filmmakers, I would say Najum Al-Ghanim. She was the first, actually the first Emirati female filmmaker and producer and director in our country. She made a whole roster of documentary films. And I remember I was working at a film production company when I left my job as a scientist. And her films were one of the first films that I watched. And I remember being just so inspired and being like, wow, you know, she did it. She actually did it. Where did she get the funds? How did she do it? And I remember sitting with her over coffee and we kind of shared our stories and at the time I hadn't done very much. So I would definitely say Njum Al-Ghanem, especially when I was much younger, earlier towards my career, was, was a big inspiration for me. Another Emirati woman that I really found inspiring at the time was uh, Amira bin Dismal. So Amira bin Dismal is half Emirati, half English. What she did is she actually went abroad. She set up her company and she started working on a more international level. She was involved in films and produced the films like The Double, uh, with Jesse Eisenberg, for example. And when I found that she was shooting all these films, Richard Ayoade, for example, and I was like, wow, she's worked with auteurs in cinema. She's built herself up. Amira bin Dismal, for me, as an Emirati producer, is probably the number one producer. I mean, she has done things that no Emirati has done before and continues to do. My last question to you would be, Amal, what would be your advice to aspiring female filmmakers who want to succeed in the industry? In terms of advice to Emirati filmmakers, this is the same advice I give everybody all the time. When you want something, you find a reason. When you don't, you find an excuse. And that's exactly it. If you want to be better, you need to master the art of filmmaking because filmmaking is not just a means of expression. It's also a craft. 
you need to practice that craft. You need to develop your skills, whether it's technical, whether it's in script writing. If you're not good at networking with other people, then join some courses or practice or find ways to push yourself. Do a course. I joined a competition where I started to submit scripts to every single competition that was available within that competition sphere. I wrote eight scripts in a year, uh, horror, in comedy, in action, in drama, because I needed to learn. I needed to grow. I bought books. I went to film festivals. I asked questions. When you progress more in the industry, there's other ways of doing that. I remember when I was at Debay Film Festival, I would attend every single lecture that was there. I would watch films, but I would attend every single lecture because I knew that there was something to learn. I would sit at the front. I would make sure I'm asking questions. I would take their business card. I would get in touch with them afterwards. I would send them my work. I would follow up. So I have no other advice except if you want it, get it. That's it. Thank you so much for being on my show, Amal. I really enjoyed having this incredibly insightful and stimulating conversation with you. Thank you very much for having me. And, you know, best of luck to all the women. And I hope this inspires everyone. I mean, I'll be listening. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inspiring UA Women podcast. I was so inspired by Amal's journey and her relentless passion for her craft. This was an educational interview for me as well. I learned that the UA filmmakers are currently lacking in both resources and funding. There is a serious absence of education on how to invest in films and subsequently a dearth of female investors in the industry. We need to revive film festivals which will in turn contribute to the recovery of the UA film industry. And lastly, for aspiring filmmakers, practice your craft so you're the best at it and if you want it, go get it. If you'd like to reach out, feel free to connect with me on Facebook at Inspiring UA Women Podcast, Instagram at IUAEW Podcast or email me on inspiringuawomen at gmail.com. See you next Thursday.